Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame But wholly trust in Jesus' name My hope is built on nothing less Than Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame for each one of us for our sins, Lord God, and you rose from the dead. 
And you are preparing a place in heaven for us even now. We thank you so much for Calvary. We thank you so much for the opportunity to just be here today, worshiping you, lifting our voices to you, and allowing your spirit to talk with us, speak with us today. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the awesome name of Jesus that we can say in our mouths and tongues every single day. You are worthy of our praise. The Savior alone carried the cross for all of my debt. He paid the cost. Salvation complete now forever. words in that song, my sin and shame don't count anymore. Aren't you thankful for that today? Um, we are so glad that you're here today. We just have a few announcements that we'd like to share. 
Um, we've had a great Good Friday, didn't we? Good Friday was just awesome in our choir. Let's thank our choir for all that they've done this weekend. It was an exciting time. And today, just a few announcements. First of all, if you'd start with the friendship folders, please pass the friendship folders down the aisle at this time. This helps us to keep a better, uh, better track of our attendance and how to help uh, serve your family in any ways that we can. Also, if today, if you're a first-time guest, or, or in recent days a first-time guest, please stop by our Welcome Center. We have a nice little gift for you out there. We'd like to just encourage you to have a great day and also answer any questions you may have about the church, about our different programming, different things that we have. So the Welcome Center is just in the foyer. As soon as you go out to the left, you'll see Wade and Nancy Baker out there, and I'm sure they'll be happy to help you in any way that they can today. Also, Wednesday, we have our Adult Bible Fellowships. They begin at 6.30 here at the church. We have a men's fellowship and a women's fellowship. Uh, these are great times. Just come up here to the church at 6.30 down the, down the hallway, and you'll be able to find, find those groups. It's a great time. We just have a great times of discussion, talking about the things of God and studying God's Word. Also on Wednesday, our youth meet over at Connect Student Ministries. That's over at the Straight Street Building. Our teen center is located at 3801 Brownsville Road. If you go down Route 88 till you hit the library fire hall, take a right, and we're about a mile back on the right-hand side at the corner of Victory and Brownsville Road. You'll see the awning that says Connect Students. High, middle school begins at 6 o'clock. High school begins at 7.30. Great things are happening over there on a weekly basis. We're trying to connect our students to God and to each other. Also, on Thursday night, we have what we call the Family Experience. The Family Experience meets right here in the auditorium, and it's a place where kids bring their parents. Um, the, the family sits together. It's a high-energy, exciting time, and God's Word is open on a regular basis. People are pointed towards God. So we want to encourage you. It's a time that uh, your kids will enjoy, and also you as a parent will enjoy, where you get to be together. It's one hour, 6.30 to 7.30 here on Thursday, and uh, that will go till the end of April. Um, and after April, we'll be re re restarting that up in the fall. Uh, next, we have Pizza with the Pastors. Maybe you've wondered, how, how can I join the church? I'd like to know a little bit more. How can I get involved around here? Pizza with the Pastors will be on April the 19th. That's a Sunday after the 11 o'clock service. Obviously, we'll have some pizza and some salad and just a nice time to have an informal gathering where we can let you know a little bit more about the church, how that you can become a member. What is our vision? What is our direction of our church? Please join us for Pizza with the Pastors. You can sign up in the courier. Inside your bulletin, there's a, a, a sign up for that. Sign up and put it in the offering plate or in the offering boxes on the wall. And uh, Celebrate Recovery. We're pretty excited about this. Celebrate Recovery is going to be launching this Friday, April 10th at 6 o'clock here at the church. Pastor Al Finney is leading this. It's a great team of people. It's a uh, Christian 12-step program. And it's designed to help us with our habits and hang-ups and, uh, and many other issues that we have to deal with. So if you're able to join that, come on up, 6 o'clock, starting this Friday, and every Friday here on out at 6 o'clock. So uh, we're, we're excited about that. And then next week, next Sunday, we're going to begin a series. It's called AD. Um, on your way in, you may have received one of these, and if not, you'll get one on the way out. But uh, this AD is a series that's going to be on TV. It's on the Book of Acts. Last year, you may have watched the series called The Bible. Many people were telling me that they watched that. And so this year, we're going to encourage you to watch this. It begins tonight at 9 o'clock on, on NBC. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to line up our teaching in the church with the book of Acts to match up with these series. 
So uh, again, we know that it's TV. We know it won't be word for word. Don't, go, don't try to open up your Bible and follow along. But you will be able to catch the idea. They will take creative liberties. And then when we come in on Sunday, we're going to be able to talk about what does God's Word say from the book of Acts. I'd like for you to watch just a short trailer. Join us as we continue with the book of Acts. Truth. What is truth? Rome holds Judea loose in its hand only as long as the Sanhedrin is able to manage its people. He threatened everything these people believe in. I've betrayed innocent blood. Judas! He was a magician from Galilee. He needed to be silenced. <laughs> the Nazarene preached insurrection against all authority. How can I tell my child I love her and then leave? Jerusalem is a dangerous place. She watched him being tortured and killed. Can you not wait? If they find you, will they kill you? I don't know. Your leader had a great following. The authorities murdered him. They won't stop with him. Join us. We are fishermen, not fighters. You are disciples of the Nazarene. We are. Once the Romans realize your message remains a threat, they will root you out. Live by the sword and you die by the sword. This Jesus cult grows stronger by the hour with the sole aim of challenging us all. I think he's coming back. I know he is. Did you or did you not lie to me? The Nazarene will rise from death. They are agreed on what is necessary. He deserves to die! High priest, the tomb is now open and the Nazarene is gone. I know that people everywhere is going to, they're going to be watching uh, this, this movie, this series. And uh, I was surprised. I went online and checked it out. And to my surprise, this uh, series has a lot of people, a lot of good, solid Christians that have endorsed it. I guess they've seen it. The president of the Southern Baptist Convention, which I thought was a, a real great endorsement. Uh, and so share the word around. Uh, people watch these things. It gives you, it gives me an opportunity to talk about the things of the Lord. And if somebody comes up to you at work and says, hey, are you watching that thing on television? 
uh, you can say, yeah, I'm, I'm watching that too, but, but the church is also talking about it as well. So come, come to our church and you can get some more information on that. Every Easter, we ask our people to give a special offering for 30 pieces of silver, we call it. You know, Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And what we like to do is turn the price of betrayal into an offering of love. And so this year, we're going to start a fund to pave our parking lot. I know many of you, you drive up on here, every, uh, that parking lot every week, and you look at it. And for the last several years, it's been disappearing on us. Different parts are, are going various places. And so it's time for us to really uh, raise a lot of money. We think it's going to cost about $200,000. Now, we don't know. I, I thought I was going to hear an awe when I said that. Oh, that's a lot of money. Uh, we don't have it, but the Lord has it. And so uh, we've always raised money in our church, first of all, by praying and asking the Lord to provide it. And so I want to ask you to join with me and let's pray. The Lord will provide, provide this for us. We need it for our ministry. Uh, every church needs it today. And so we're going to begin that fund today. And so if there are some envelopes there in front of you, I think they say 30 pieces of silver. Make sure that when you do give your gift to that project that you designate it so that we can keep it separate. Let's stand together this morning as our ushers come and we'll receive, we'll receive our morning offering together at this time. We thank you every week for your financial help in the church. It enables us to do all the things that we're doing with young people over in South Park at our youth center, here at, uh, in our children's ministry in the church. Uh, it's, uh, it kind of greases the wheels uh, that keep running week after week after week. Let's thank the Lord that he's provided these funds for us. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this day and how you've taken care of us. You've given us the strength to go to work, to make a living for our family. And now we've come together as a church family to provide a living for the church up here on the hill. I pray now that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Here I am, Lord, and I'm drowning In your sea of forgetfulness The chains of yesterday surround me I yearn for peace and rest I don't want to end up where you found me And it echoes in my mind Keeps me awake tonight I know you cast my sin as far as the east is from the west Oh, I stand before you now As though I've never sinned But today I feel like I'm just one mistake away From you leaving me this way Jesus, can you show me just how far the east is from the west I can't bear to see the man I've been from rising up in me again in the arms of your mercy I find rest cause you know just how far the east is from the west 
One scarred hand to the other Reminding of my sin Time and time again Your truth is drowned out By the storm I'm in Today I feel like I'm just one mistake away From you leaving me this way Jesus, can you show me just how far the east is from the west Cause I can't bear to see Just how far the east is from the west One scarred hand to the other I know you've washed me white Turned my darkness into light I need your strength to get me through To get me through this night I can't live by what I feel But by your truth your word reveals I'm not holding on to you you're holding on to me. You're holding on to me. Jesus, you know just how far the east is from the west. Cause I can't bear to see the man I've been rising up in me again. Just how far the east is from the west From one scarred hand to the other one last time please and sing this next song with all that we are our heart our soul and our mind because we believe in Jesus Christ we believe in God the Father we believe in the resurrection
thrilled and he's given us new life we believe in the crucifixion we believe that he conquered death we believe in the resurrection and he's coming back again we believe sing so beautifully together, don't they? Wow. Let's, uh, what a great group. Let's open our Bibles this morning, please, to the book of John in the New Testament, the book of John. Thank you, Dan. Chapter 20. Book of John, chapter 20. Jesus is alive. Around the world, people are meeting today, and uh, they are heralding uh, this exciting message. And so we go to the biblical account in John chapter 20, and now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran. You know, I like to... Uh, 
underline things in my Bible. You know, when I see something that kind of speaks to me, I, I mark it in some way. She ran uh, and came to Simon Peter. That was kind of uncustomary for people to be running. It wasn't too cultured. She came to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and that was John, the author of the book of John. He didn't put his name in here because he was a humble soul, and uh, he didn't want to trumpet his, uh, his greatness on the pages of the Bible. And so he just called himself the other disciple whom Jesus loved. They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter, therefore, went out, and the other disciple, that's John, and we're going to the tomb, so they both ran together. It seemed like on Easter Sunday morning, everybody was running somewhere. Uh, Mary Magdalene was running. Now Peter and John, they're running. And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, and he stooping down and looked in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, you see that refrain, that constant uh, referring to himself, the other disciple, came to the tomb first and went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes, and Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And here the Bible describes an angelic encounter. Uh, she looked in, and uh, look what she saw in verse 12. She saw two angels in white sitting at the head and the other at his feet, and where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Now she'd been crying, I think, pretty hard because she didn't know where they took the body of Jesus. And you know, when the, when the light is, is dim and you have lots of tears in your eyes, you can't visualize too well. And she thought that Jesus standing there was a gardener. And she's... She said, he, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. She recognized Jesus by his voice. Verse 18. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. You know, whenever we come to this passage of Scripture, uh, we have to remember that it was Passover time in Jerusalem. This was like one of their biggest holidays ever. Uh, the Greek word for Passover is Pascha. You've probably heard that before. It's pronounced in Greek and Latin that way. And it's used 29 times in the New Testament. Um, you might go back and find a few Bibles in, uh, many years ago that, uh, that broke the rule of translating Pascha, Passover, uh, at least one time in the book of Acts chapter 12. Uh, a few of those Bibles just simply use the English word Easter. The English word Easter means Passover. 
Passover, if you remember, commemorates the exodus of the nation of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage. The message of Easter today is about another deliverance out of bondage. Uh, it's a celebration of our Passover. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says Christ was our Passover lamb sacrifice for us. You know, at this time each year, Jerusalem is burgeoning with people. So many slain animals. Josephus, we often quote him, he was, uh, he's a pretty renowned Jewish historian, said that at Passover time, as many as 250,000 lambs were slain in Jerusalem, and uh, those lambs were slain uh, in, in this way. One lamb for every 10 worshipers. And so if you do the math, you find that there are over 2 million people crushing into this small space, Jerusalem. But uh, we remember the Old Testament passage that says in Isaiah 53, 7, he was led as a slam to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus was the fulfillment of all of those 250,000 lambs that had been slain. He was the final lamb of God that has the potential of taking away the sins of the world. Well, you know, we, we call what we teach and preach in the church simply the gospel. I don't think people in the world really know the definition of that word, the gospel, but we do. Uh, the gospel simply means good news. You know, in a world uh, that uh, is chaotic and crazy today, uh, the church has the best news around. We call it the gospel. It's good news. You know, when you look at the news every, every week, you, you say, oh, it's terrible out there. And then you look at it the next day, and what do you say? It's worse than terrible. And every day it gets worse. Well, you know, the church has the message of hope for everybody, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16, Paul said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. You know, the resurrection, though, is an inseparable part of what we call the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul defines the gospel. It, he says this. He said, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the message. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, it proved that God loves you and me, and everybody. Romans 5, 8 says that. God demonstrated himself to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, the Lord didn't stand on the edge of eternity and just yell out, I love you. He proved it by sending his son to die upon the cross, to pay the payment that we owed for our sins to God, to satisfy the justice of God. And so the death of Christ proves that God loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what's on your mind and what skeletons you have in your closet, that doesn't stop God loving you. Now that's amazing grace, isn't it? It sure is. That's why we get so excited when we sing about an amazing grace. We can't really define it. It's too hard for us. Well, uh, the resurrection, though, proves something else. It proves the divinity of Christ, the divinity. Romans 1, 4 says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God according to the resurrection. 
uh, the divinity of Christ. First of all, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. We know them well. Isaiah 53 was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and with his stripes were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. On this, on this day, crucifixion, Good Friday, the bodies have been taken off of the cross. And the reason why is because the Sabbath was coming soon. And in order for the bodies to be taken off those three crosses up there, they had to, the people on the cross had to have died. And so the Romans went out to see if these criminals were dead. And they found that the two thieves, one on, or the two criminals, one on either side of Jesus, were still alive. And I understand that to facilitate the whole death process, they would take a big sledgehammer and they would break the legs of the criminals. As soon as the legs of the criminals were broken, they couldn't support their weight anymore. Their feet were on a little pedestal there. And they fell down and they couldn't breathe any longer. They couldn't get oxygen in their lungs. And so that's how they took the lives of the criminals when they had to take them off the cross. But they were surprised when they came to Jesus. He was dead already. They didn't have to break his bones. And for those of you who read the Old Testament, you know, in Exodus chapter 12, the Bible says that the Passover lamb's bones should not be broken. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Psalm 34:20 says he guards all his bones and not one of them is broken. You know, the Romans were good at crucifixion. They, uh, they had lots of practice. It kept the crime rate down in Jerusalem. Because whenever they crucified somebody, they put a big placard above the, the cross that gave their crime. And as people walked by, and they said to themselves, I don't think I'm ever going to do that crime. I don't want to end up hanging on a cross. Well, after Jesus died, there were two believers that claimed his body. They were actually two members of the Sanhedrin that's comparable to the Supreme Court of the United States. Pretty important people. Two members of the Sanhedrin came to claim the body of Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And they put Jesus in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. It was reported that some of Joseph's friends were so surprised that uh, Joseph the rich man uh, would uh, let Jesus be buried in his own tomb. He justified it by saying, oh, he just needed it for the weekend. It wasn't a permanent arrangement. First of all, Christ died for our sins. Every time you see the cross, that means God loves you. That means he'll always love you. Then he rose again according to the scriptures. You know, Jesus, as he was walking through the world in his ministry, kept saying this, this repeated refrain. He said early in his ministry, if you destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And he repeatedly said that he was going to die and he was going to come back to life again. But his disciples had what we call selective what? Hearing, right? We're good at that, aren't we? His disciples didn't want to hear at all that Jesus was going to die because they had bigger plans for him than that. They thought he was going to be the emancipator of the captives, 
the Jews under Roman domination. And so they had selective hearing and they, didn't, they forgot about his idea of death and resurrection. But Psalm 16 verse 10 says, For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. That's a prophecy concerning the resurrection. And so we have the empty cross now and then we go on to the empty tomb. The women were first. Uh, on her way, Mary Magdalene, she was contemplating who's going to move this big heavy stone for us. When she got there, she found out it was already done for her. The Lord removed it. Um, and she ran back to tell the, the disciples. And Peter said, you know, I have to see this for myself. And so Peter and John were in this foot race and, you know, youth always wins there. I call it elasticity. A young person, a young person lining up to race with an older person, we know who's winning. Uh, and that's what happened here in our story. Every part of their being was alive as they ran to see what Mary Magdalene was talking about. You know what she was looking for? She looked into the tomb in verse number 11 and she was looking for the living word of God. Do you know the name of Jesus before Bethlehem was simply the word? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. His name was the Word. And he had that name because when he spoke, it was the Word of God. It was God speaking. She was looking for the living Word, and as she looked into the tomb, she saw these two angels, I say, guarding the body of Jesus in the tomb. And it reminded me of the cherubim in the Old Testament as they were guarding the mercy seat uh, in the temple. They were guarding the presence of God then. These angels were guarding the presence of God in the tomb in which Jesus' body was, uh, was buried. She was weeping. She was seeking Jesus. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And never has a seeking sinner and a seeking Savior ever failed to meet. And you know, the neat thing about that all is that Christ is seeking sinners today. And that's his job, and it always has been his job. It's, it's the thing that beats the heart of God, so to speak. Uh, if God were to wake up in the morning, this would be the first thing on his mind. I don't think he goes to sleep at all at night either. This is the first thing on his mind. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so... The Lord today is looking for lost sinners, and as soon as he finds one, he confronts them with the gospel. And uh, that's the salvation message of Christ dying on the cross for their sins. Um, and so a seeking Savior and a seeking sinner always meet. She was looking for the living word, but you know, God doesn't speak to us that way today. He speaks to us today through the written word of God. Uh, the Bible, that's how God speaks today. Uh, you've heard people say, well, you know, the Bible's so complicated. I can't read it. I get mixed up. And, well, you know, the, the most important things in the Bible are not complicated. They're very simple. Jesus was the simplest of teachers. He told stories to illustrate spiritual truth. Jesus was a storyteller. A sower went forth to sow. Now, that's not hard, is it? And he sowed some of his seed on hard ground, and it didn't grow. And then he sowed some on uh, some thorny ground and the, and the thorns kind of crushed out the growth. And, and then he found some good soil and it really brought forth uh, in a wonderful way. The seed, he said, is the word of God. Uh, 
Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And when you put it into the ground, it grows. He said the kingdom of God is like a dragnet. When you put it in the sea, you gather some fish. Uh, Jesus spoke in such simple terms because he didn't want to leave anyone out. He didn't want anybody to go away and say, I can't understand what he's saying. And the greatest verse in the Bible, you know what it is. It's John 3.16, right? Many of you have memorized it. Let's read it together in the church. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Max Lucado is a popular Christian writer. He says that John 3.16 is the hope diamond of the New Testament. You know what the hope diamond is? Go home and look it up. The Hope Diamond is a blue diamond that is 45 carats, and it's worth $250 million. It's a whopper. It really is. Max Lucada said, this verse is the Hope Diamond of the New Testament. And it starts out with God, for God. God is the author of our salvation. It's God who looked down in his mercy on humanity and reached out to humanity by giving his son. You know, salvation is not you working your way up to God. It's God coming down to us and doing the work on the cross that you could never do for your soul's salvation. Salvation begins with God. Uh, and then the Bible says he loved us so much. I, I love those Two little words, so much. And then he goes on to explain how much. And then he says, he gave his only son. That's how much. That's what God's love looks like. Uh, the only begotten son, that's an interesting statement right there. It comes from the Greek word monogenes. And it sounds an awful lot like our English word genetic, and that's what it means. It means only genetic or one genetic his only one genetic son. Jesus claims to have the same genetic connection with God that no one else has ever claimed to have. The same DNA. Jesus is God. Jesus is God in the flesh. Uh, and he came that those who believe should not perish to save the perishing. You know, those who believe in him enjoy him forever, but those who spend their lifetime telling him to leave them alone, he honors their request. They perish. Separation from God in a real place, place the Bible calls hell. And I've mentioned this to you before that Jesus preached more about hell than he did about heaven. And so he came to, to rescue people from perishing and being separated from him forever. God speaks to us through his word. And you know, when we open the Bible, we're in proximity to the voice of God. Uh, he cleanses us. We need that. We need the cleansing of God in our everyday life. Uh, we feel cleansed, renewed, refreshed when we read the Bible. Uh, it renews our mind. It's like, uh, it's like taking a spiritual bath. You know, we trudge through this world and our mind becomes polluted with ugly and evil things. And we have to pour the word of God over our mind to direct our mind in God's ways of thinking. And, uh, and the Bible calls it the washing of the word. And so when we assimilate the Bible, 
It's like pouring water, spiritual water, over our mind. It cleanses us. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Clean them up by your truth. You know, the empty tomb does not within itself prove the resurrection. It's the post-resurrection appearances that prove that Jesus is alive. I'd just like to talk to you about a couple of them this morning. First of all, Mary Magdalene in verse number one. She was a life that was changed by Jesus. She had seven demons. You think you're having a bad day? Uh, you've never had a bad day compared to Mary Magdalene. Uh, her life was tortured by demons, fallen angels, until she met Christ. And Christ cast those demons out of her, and she was a brand new person. Uh, Jesus came to deliver. That's one of his specialties. Jesus came to elevate womanhood as well, to give them their rightful place in the world, the place that God intended. You know, we hear a lot today about Sharia law. Sharia law believes that a woman is just a piece of property, a victim of abuse. They can do with a woman anything they want to do. Jesus is not into that at all. Uh, he created woman, women to be special. Uh, to have a special place in the world, to be cared for it and honored and loved. Uh, and so uh, just follow, with, walk with Jesus through the New Testament. He went out of his way to talk to a woman at the well and surprised his disciples. And they said, why are you talking to her? Well, he loved her. Why? Women were a part of Jesus' entourage as he went up and down the land preaching. Women uh, were standing at the foot of the cross when the men left. And yet, remember when Paul was out in his ministry, he was preaching. This is what he said. He said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave or free, there is neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Uh, Jesus came to Mary Magdalene to release her from captivity and bondage. Uh, you know, there's not anyone so broken that Jesus doesn't love them. And that Jesus can't change them and give them a future I know sometimes we look at people and we say, boy, there's no hope for them. Well, you just look at Mary Magdalene. She was worse than they are. And Jesus reached down and changed her life. I love 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. You know, whenever we give our life to Christ, things change just like that. Uh, sometimes it takes a little while to work through that whole process and Things of the old life fall off of us in a gradual way, but eventually we change. We become that person that God wants us to be. Mary Magdalene was released from bondage. There are a lot of people that need the release of Christ today from addiction, from habits, from attitudes. Uh, let me say, uh, Jesus is the answer for your life. And then there's Peter. Uh, the Bible doesn't say much about this appearance of Jesus to Peter, the post-resurrection, but it does say he appeared to Peter in Luke 24, 34. Uh, Peter really needed this personal touch because you remember he denied the Lord how many times? And he bragged that he wouldn't do it. It's always dangerous to do too much bragging, you know, that we have to eat our words. He did. And so uh, Peter probably felt so much like a failure Maybe he thought about resigning from the ministry and going back to fishing uh, because he let him, his, him, himself down and he let the Lord down. And the Lord appeared to him, and uh, that's a wonderful thing. 
and encouraged him, and he was lifted up by the Lord. Do you know that everyone fails? It's okay. I'm not promoting failure. I'm just promoting reality. Every one of us fails, and we do it an awful lot. But, you know, that's why we have a God of forgiveness. When we fail, we run to God and we say, Lord, I messed up again. And the Lord says, yeah, I saw you do it. I know all about it. Just confess it to me and I'll, I'll lift the burden of guilt off you and you can run again. Uh, the Lord is like every good father. Does, does any good father ever give up on his kid? I think God treats us the same way. Uh, I think there are a lot of Christians that have failed an awful lot and they're so discouraged and they just feel like, oh, I just hate to try to get up and run again because I've let God down and my expectations are ruined. Uh, don't ever feel like that. Listen, we're all in the same boat. Uh, you know, we might look like some sanctimonious, perfect Christian on the outside, but we're not. We have our failings. And that's why the Bible implores us, implores us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us. And that verse is for Christians. Well, here he, he meets Peter, a man who's failed. And he wants to take him past his failure. And boy, I'll tell you what, Peter became a real good disciple after that. He needed a new start. And if you're here today and that's what you need, you're in the right place. Jesus can give you a new start. And then there are the two travelers on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24. Their hopes were dashed. Uh, they thought that Jesus was going to be the great emancipator. And Jesus kind of moved right in among them as they walked. And it's a wonderful story, and I just read it. And uh, they didn't recognize him. And as he began to talk to them, he began to show them in the Old Testament the prophecies about himself. And they, they ask him to stay with them longer. And their testimony later after that experience was this. When he opened the scriptures to us, our heart burned within us. When Jesus opened the Bible, the written word to these people, it created a fire in their heart. The flame was rekindled. And let me say this to you today. Don't neglect your Bible. Go home and dig it out from underneath the sofa, okay? Go home and take it out of the back of the seat of the car and, and start to get into the Word of God, and you will have the same experience. Your heart will burn with the flame of the Word of God. I know so many times, whenever I read the Word of God, I just get so excited. It's like, whoa, this is really good. This is exactly what I need for the day. Well, those two travelers found out when Jesus opened the Bible and began to explain it to them, their heart was revived. And then there was the fearful church, and, and we're not gonna, we don't have time to look at that, but it begins right up here in verse number 19. On that evening, that resurrection evening, the church was meeting together in fear, and Jesus came to them and he turned their fear into courage. You know, one of the main purposes that Jesus came into the world was to establish the church. Now, I know that a lot of people don't have too much confidence in the church, but the church is here to stay. It really is. Uh, and I mean local churches, churches in communities like ours, churches that are open in the winter and the fall and the summer and the spring, churches that are available for little kids and older people and everybody in between. 
I think the church is to be in some way a, a, a moral compass in our world. Certainly we need that. Uh, you know, faith is something that's personal, but it's lived out, supposed to be lived out in a community. And we come together to affirm the truths of the scripture. That's why we're here. Uh, this little moral compass that we have is to help parents teach their kids not to be the sole teacher, but just to help parents teach their kids the difference between right and wrong, good and bad. That's so blurred today in our society. So that when they go out into the world, uh, they won't be blown away by the allurement of the crowd on spring break that says, oh, come on, come and do this with us. I know you've never done it, but just do it one time. And sometimes that one time is the last time they ever do something like that. Uh, and our young people won't be blown away when they go and sit in a, a liberal college and listen to a liberal professor tell the kids that the that little baby in the womb is just a piece of tissue and can be dispensed of any way they want to. Uh, this is the job of the church, and it's important. It really is. Because there are people all over that got something out of the church when they were growing up. I remember a little uh, Sam Wilson. He used to sit in the back. He was from Mount Lebanon. He was always acting up back there. And then he finally said one day, God wants me to be a missionary to Russia. So when these kids are acting up around the church, be careful about them. One day they may be your pastor. You know, just to be careful. Don't, don't, uh, don't mistreat them. Well, he came to them. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And he forgave them. He could have said, listen, where were you guys when I really needed you? But he forgave them and he spoke peace to them. And then he commissioned them to go out and to preach the gospel. And in John 20, verse 21... Uh, Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. He empowered them. You know, I believe that we're on a mission. I really do. Now, bless, uh, just uh, listen, just a minute. I believe we're on a mission. Life is a mission. It's just not for you to go to work and provide a living, although that's really, really important. Uh, it's, uh, it's God has something special to, for you to do in the church and in the world. You know, the church needs you. It really does. Uh, you make up the church. I make up the church. What I, my part in the church is important and so is yours. Uh, but we need the Holy Spirit and that's what, he, that's what he does right here. The Bible says in verse 22, he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Uh, on Good Friday in, in Athens, the streetlights are turned off. Some public buildings are draped in black and a slow-moving procession winds through the streets. At midnight, on Easter Eve, a cannon booms from the top of one of the local mountains, which towers above the city. Thousands of worshiping people at the church of St. George on the summit light their candles, and slowly they pass down that twisting path from the summit into the city to their house. You can see thousands of tiny pinpoints of light moving down the mountain into the city. And so it is with us on Easter. We come together and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God says, listen, I want to light your light. And I want you to take it where you live and let it shine. 
I want you to go to your job and let it shine. I want you to go into the darkest recesses of our culture and let it shine. And you know, in order to do that, we need a strong church. We need a strong church. And for this to happen, we have to follow biblical principles. Acts 2.42. They came together for the teaching of the Bible, the apostles' doctrine. Bible teaching is important. Every generation has to learn the Bible in some way. And then they came together for fellowship. And that means that they hung out, they had fun with each other, and they worked with each other on projects within the church, like paving the parking lot. That's part of it. And sharing in meals. They ate together. And that included the Lord's Supper, and we did that, we did that Friday night. And then it included prayer. We have a prayer group here in our church that meets every Thursday morning and prays over the requests of our church. We believe in prayer. We are a praying church. And so we have to follow the principles of the Bible uh, to have the power of God to go into this world. And you and I, uh, we are part of the entourage of Christ today. And so where are you in this story? Are you Mary Magdalene? Do you need release from captivity? You're bound with a habit. Something is keeping you from Christ? Well, listen, she's exhibit A of how God can deliver a soul. Are you Peter? I think there are a lot of Peters in the church. You tried to serve the Lord, and you failed. And you tried again, and you failed. And you tried again, and sometimes you fail. So many times you just throw up your hands and say, listen, I'm not a very good Christian. And you just quit. Well, let me say to you, Peter failed. And the Lord said, listen, dust yourself off. I'm a God of forgiveness. I'll forgive you. Let's go on with our life. And then there were the two travelers. They, they had lost hope. And then there was the fearful church. Uh, they needed courage. They needed the Holy Spirit. Uh, I say to you this morning this. Historical faith says Christ lives and all over the world today, people are talking about the resurrection of Christ. But saving faith says Christ lives in me. And that's the only thing that really counts. Let's say it together. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. One more time. Christ lives in me. That's the thing that makes the difference in the world. Don't be just a historical Christian. Be a person who experiences Christ. Let him come into your life if you've never accepted him as your Savior. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, let me talk to you just a minute about where you are in the scheme of things. I know that in a congregation like this on an Easter Sunday, there are plenty of people that are struggling with lots of things that are keeping you from Christ. There are habits that you feel like you can never overcome. There are attitudes that you've had for years that are bad for you and others. Uh, there are barriers between you and Christ. I want you to think about Mary Magdalene. She was delivered from the worst kinds of things. And then there was Peter. Peter had failed God, and he was down and out for the count. I think he was probably thinking about going back fishing uh, because he had, he had disappointed himself and disappointed the Lord.
And the Lord came to him and lifted him up and dusted him off and said, Listen, Peter, I love you. I'm a God of forgiveness. Let's go. Let's run. Let me give you a second chance. And you know, God is more than the God of second chances. He's the God of third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. And you just fill in the blank. You're here today and you're discouraged. Listen, God wants to give you another chance. Um, he wants to use you. And here we are. Could we be a fearful church today uh, without courage? We need the Holy Spirit. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to control us, to live Christ's life through us. So that when we walk out of this church today, we will know that Christ really lives in us. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, let me invite you to pray the simple prayer right there in your seat. Not out loud, but just whisper this prayer to God. Dear Lord, I need you. I'm lost. I'm separated from you. I'm a sinner. And I need your saving grace. Forgive me of my sins. I accept your offer of forgiveness and eternal life. Send your Holy Spirit right now, Lord, to live in my heart and help me live this life that you have for me to live. I'm trusting you and you alone as my personal Savior today. Just whisper that to the Lord and let Jesus come into your heart today. Lord, we thank you for... Uh, your word today and it penetrates our heart. We pray now that you'll bless us as we sing this last song together in Jesus name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. And as we sing this last song together, if you'd like to come and pray here at the altar, please feel free to do that. came forth to be born of a virgin and dwelt among men my example is he the word became flesh and the light shined among us his glory revealed living he loved me dying he saved me buried he carried sins far away rising he justified freely forever one day he's coming oh glorious day oh glorious day one day they led him up Calvary's mountain Stretched out on a tree And he took the nails from me 